Welcome to Confessions of a Fitness Professional Special Edition, a mini-series where we take a look at the blue zones of happiness. What are they? How can we gain perspective? And how can we utilize this method to live a better, fuller, more thriving lifestyle. Let's dive in. I cannot wait to uncover the mysteries of the blue zones of happiness with you. Welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Fitness Professional Special Edition. We are diving into the blue zones of happiness. So welcome to part three. If you are just finding this and you haven't looked at, watched, listened to parts one and two, go do that first. But of course, the conversation can be sparked from any part of this series. And that's what I love so much about YouTube and the podcast world is that you can search and find the tiniest little nugget of information and then it can just expand, which is really how I discovered the blue zones. I I saw one little Instagram story about it and that sort of sparked this entire idea for this series. So I want to, my intention was to get through the entire part three of the blue zones of happiness, but it is the longest part of the book and I did not do that. So instead I wanna focus on the first two pieces of part three, which it has a specific name. It's called Happier by Design. So the last episode, we really looked at three particular communities that are that identify or not identify, but they were called blue zone areas because of the longevity of the people who live there. And they were investigated and researched and individuals were were talked to they looked at businesses they looked at a variety of different factors and discovered what allowed people to be so dang happy fulfilled feel like they had this purpose this drive this pride this passion a community all of those different elements and I've in between reading, I've also been going back and listening to some older podcasts that Dan Buettner, the author, did. And I I love listening to him talk about the text, talk about the research, talk about the discovery. I feel like it opens up so many more questions and allows me to really visualize a lot of what he is talking about and writing about and sharing. And of course, I mean, a book is is done once it's published, right? So the moment that this was published, it was outdated because new information continues to be discovered as people continue to live, as communities live older, as um, new communities are designed. And that's really what part three of this book gets into. Can we take the elements that we have learned from some of the world's happiest places from these blue zones and make it make it and manufacture it. Can you really, can you, can you manufacture happiness? Can you manufacture fulfillment? It makes me think of the phrase fake it till you make it, which I don't like, but I think I've probably lived a lot in my life. And honestly, truthfully in the fitness community, that is, that idea is spread like wildfire. It is just this idea of, okay, you don't know what you're doing, but like pretend and then you'll figure it out. I mean, that's kind of like how we do life. 
I love to tell my high school students that, you know, the, the big secret in life is that none of us, none of us have it figured out. We're all sort of just living and adapting and figuring it out as we go. <laughs> that reassures them so much. <laughs> experience can, you know, experience means everything. And I think that's what you find when you're meeting with individuals who are living beyond 80, 90, 100 years. They have all of this invaluable experience simply because they have been here. They have lived through a wide variety of occurrences. They have seen, I mean, some of the people that are alive now, we're, we're getting close to the end, but may have experienced the tail end of World War II or a Great Depression or other catastrophic world events. I mean, it blows my mind that the students that I work with now were not even born when 9-11 happened in the United States. And that is just wild to me that they were not even born yet. And I vividly remember those events happening. I watched them happen. I was in, everybody my age or, or higher has a story or the generation above me, my parents' generation, their story is here's where I was when JFK was shot or Here, here's where I was when we landed on the moon. That's their narrative and ours, our generation, the, the millennials, the elder millennials, ours is here's where you were on 9-11. Can you imagine what somebody who is 90, 95, 100 years old has to share? So much, so much information. And as a bigger society in the United States, we take our older people and we shove them into retirement communities. Like go over there, we'll visit you once a week, maybe. But there's just so much invaluable information and experience and the happiest communities, multi-generations are living. I was having a conversation today with a, a former colleague about just how, how, how much the next generation or actually a couple generations down. So right now I'm meeting with ninth and 10th graders in high school. So they are Gen Alpha, the Gen Alpha group. And they're their feelings on the future and their ideas about where they will be. And I always, I say always, for the last 20 years of my educational professional career, I have, I have been accustomed to asking the question, okay, who is ready to make their own rules? Who is ready to have their own place? Who is ready to have their own car? And 10 years ago, 100% of the hands would be raised Students were eager to explore, to, to find their own voices, to, to be in their own spaces. That number has significantly reduced. Now, I might get 50% of hands raised. And I'll ask the question like, okay, what's your plan? And the people that don't raise their hands say, well, I'm gonna live with my parents or my aunt and uncle or my grandparents or whoever their guardian is. And I'm like, are are they aware of this? Oh yeah, they talk, we talk about it all the time. I'm never leaving. And I'm like, huh. And then you think about, you know, in the United States, we have this major housing crisis and, and the it's so difficult to buy your own home. I mean, my husband and I are double income, no kids, and we have a home. But if it was just me by myself, 
I don't think I would have a home. I don't think I would buy a home. I wouldn't use my money in that way because it would be so much of it. So you really have to have multiple income streams just to have your own home. So I think I get it. I get why that initial reaction is, well, why would I waste my money on property that I don't even want and property that's not even worth the price? Are these kids wise beyond their years? Or are they listening to what their parents are talking about? I mean, now these kids, they're my generation's kids. So these are the, the, the end of the Xers, the beginning of the millennials. These are our children. This is the, <laughs> no longer are they children like us of the boomers who have this manifest destiny mindset of like, must be independent, must have rise to riches, must go do all the things. They're like, no man, community's cool. And you know what? I kind of dig it. I think they get the blue zones way better than our generation does. Amazing. That struck me. The other thing that it got me thinking about, and I'll dive into this a little bit more in part four, but I thought about it because of this. And if you're not watching the YouTube, I am pointing to a cup of, well, it's an iced honey vanilla latte. So today I had errands to run and my my day today included, I was in the classroom all day at the high school talking to 11th graders about their resumes, building, building resumes. And then I had to go to um, a pre-K classroom on Tuesdays every week. I go read a book to the pre-K classroom, um, part of Character Counts, this, this big program. And then I had to drop things off. I had to pick things up. And in, I love being efficient and I drive a lot. So my, my thought was, okay, I'm going to go to this particular location where I can go to um, two stores that I need to and the bank. And while I'm there, I'm going to stop and get a coffee. I was really craving a specific coffee from a very specific place. And it's a chain, right? It's not a local coffee shop. But I've been so inspired by reading The Blue Zones of Happiness that I decided I would go out of my way, spend the extra time, get out of my car, walk around, spend time in line, talk with people. So it, it ended up being about a 25 minute detour to get a cup of coffee from a local person. I gave a big tip. The people that I was getting my coffee from were former students. So it was a great chance to kind of catch up. I got to see what the locals are doing. I got to spend time in a local community. I think as a whole, I appreciated the experience more, but I get it. It took longer. And I, I can understand why somebody would not want to do that. Why immediately you would think, oh, I could just go through a drive-thru, use my app and be done with it. This costs more, it takes more time, it takes more, I think emotional, what's that called? Like, it takes a little more energy, I think you could say, because you have to present yourself and have a conversation with somebody and ask thoughtful questions and get thoughtful answers and listen to what they're saying. You have to take an interest in that person, right? It's not just somebody Although I'll tell you what, at my chain, there are some regulars that I see because I tend to, I'm very habitual and I tend to go at the same time. So there are individuals I will see, but I will say they turn over a lot faster than the people at the local coffee shop that I like to, to go to. But I, when I was right out of college, 
I was way more intentional about living as part of a member of the community. And a lot of that was because I walked to work or I biked to work. I didn't have a car for the first three or four years of my professional life. So I walked everywhere and I went where I could access by walking. And as a result, I had a much tighter bond to my community. I was joking with somebody over the weekend. I'm taking a sip because this is so good. Iced honey vanilla latte with coconut milk, OMG. I was talking with somebody this weekend about how we've lived in this new town for four years. And I think I've gone... I've gone to the local farmer's market maybe three times because it does not compare to where I used to go. And it's on a different day. It's less convenient to get to. I can't walk there. I have to get my car to get there. And there's just not a lot there. And I don't really have like a local spot that I would, that I would frequent, that I would go to. But I had that in my, own my old town that I lived in for 16 years. And I had developed a local... A local community and I was part of a local community and I was involved as a board member in one of the the uh, CSA programs and did a lot for that town and I don't have that here and I think a lot of it is because I don't work here so my house is here we're here I although I have started teaching a boot camp class outdoor at my house that's been phenomenal I've loved doing that love it love it but I don't work in this town. My husband doesn't work in this town. We both commute to go to our work. And something that I'm learning in the Blue Zones of Happiness is it is ideal to be able to walk or bike to work. People that walk or bike to work tend to feel more fulfilled and tend to be happier. I get that, I totally get that. My commute is pretty predictable. It doesn't, it's going to take 30 minutes. It's gonna take 30 minutes, sometimes more if I get stuck behind a bus or a piece of farm equipment, but it's pretty predictable how long it's going to take. My husband goes to more of a metropolitan area. His, his commute could be 25 minutes or like last night, it was like an hour and a half, a little bit more unpredictable. It's a long time to be in the car for a job. Although he does get flexibility, he can work from home a few days a week. So uh, that's really nice. My my job, I cannot work from home. I, I have to go in. It's very difficult to work from home in my position. So, okay, how can we manufacture a happier community, a better, stronger community? He, Dan Buechner, looks at a couple of places in the like Naples area of Florida, the beaches area of Southern California, and even Hawaii, and talks to people about, you know, why are they happy? What is it that that keeps you keeps you happy? What is it that keeps you, you know, feeling good, that, that sense of purpose and pride, and you know, what what it is that you're you're working toward. And they actually raided a bunch of cities, and I loved reading about this, but uh, Boulder, Colorado was number one on the list of the happiest places based on this National Geographic Gallup Special Index. Okay, I used to recruit in Colorado. Boulder was always one of my favorite places that I got to visit. I love it. I recently got to go back with my husband and show him my favorite hike at the Flatirons. It was, it's life-changing. I never was able to put my finger on why I was so obsessed with Boulder 
and now I get it because it's it's literally planned and designed to make you feel happier. There's we stay I mean we stayed right in the middle of Boulder and we could walk anywhere we wanted to go. You look up and you see those beautiful flat irons. There are not huge skyscrapers, nothing is extremely tall. You see a lot of we everywhere we went was like a local place. We went to no chains when we were out in Boulder and people just generally were in a good mood. You get like 300 days of sunshine, even though it's in the mountains and a mile higher than a lot of, you know, than sea level. People, it was a bike friendly place. So people were biking, people were walking. There's just this general shared sense of community. And I loved recruiting there. I loved visiting there. And I just loved getting to go back with my husband. So he looks at those kind of happy communities. What are they? What is it that they have? And he has these different metrics. So things like being tr having trustworthy neighbors, um, having things that are walkable, kind of like the walkability measure, um, access to nature, proximity to parks, open spaces, clean air, civic engagement, and opportunity to be part of your community. A clean environment, clean air, clean water, clean land. Uh, access to dental care. For whatever reason, the happiest places in the world have access to dental care. I think it's really, I get it. I, I had a, I had braces as an adult for four years because my, you know, I didn't get that as a kid and my, my happiness skyrocketed the moment I got my braces off. Honestly, it skyrocketed the moment I got my braces on knowing that I was doing something to improve my aesthetic, knowing that I was doing something to improve my, my features. I was going to be able to smile more and teeth are just this major source of pain. You know, if you have something wrong with your teeth, it can wreck your day. It can wreck everything. Uh, People-friendly streets, healthy food, and healthy behaviors. So local restrictions on smoking, less obesity, and less drug abuse. Those, those were things that made a community really happy. So going out to intentionally plan and create these happy communities, those were the things that were encouraged and kept in mind. Now, something that he found working with individuals who wanted to build toward becoming a blue zone community, change doesn't happen overnight and it needs to be gradual. And we'll look at that in part four for the individual. Just remember, change does not happen overnight and it needs to be gradual. People need to get warmed up to the idea of something changing. Not a bad thing, just something that you have to do. You have to get warmed up to that idea. So those communities, like the one outside of um, Naples, that beautiful, that beautiful coast, anytime they had to make an adjustment, you know, a road needed repaired, they widened the pedestrian area and added a bike lane. Anytime they had to make that adjustment. And slowly they incorporated more walkability, cleaner air, really discouraging heavy traffic, and overall, it ended up making people really happy. Go figure, go figure. Let's see, um, invest in beauty. That was another thing. Um, a community that favors humans over cars. I remember that was something that was brought up by um, a community member in Chestertown where I used to live. It was this proposal for the downtown area, the main road through town, um, High Street, it's called, 
to be a walkable area so that you would have to park on the outside and you could only walk in the middle. That was not received well. It was, a again, not a gradual change. It was a huge change. But something that did start to come from that was this idea of taking the farmer's market, which had just grown and grown and grown and grown, and closing down that road on Saturday mornings for the farmer's market to make it more walkable. That did happen, and that's an amazing thing. Let's see what else. Bring in expertise. Access to clean water was big. Bikeability was big. Few or no billboards. Oh my gosh, that's such a big thing. I can tell if I'm going to like a national park or a city or a place that we visit based on the marketing. I'm just not a fan of the high rises and the flashing lights and all the billboard. I would rather see a mountain. Like give me a mountain, give me streams, give me clean air. Let me see an animal. That's what I want to see. And then he takes this idea into the workplace. Like, okay, if you can't change your entire community, your town, your municipality, your city, can you start with your workplace? So there are workplaces that can be designated as blue zone friendly workplaces. Go figure. So what does that include? What would you think that would include? Okay, he has defined six different points. One, a blue zone friendly workplace is somewhere that organization leaders model good behaviors and influence an environment that supports the well-being of others. That's one. Organizations have a purpose that employees can connect with. The worksite promotes healthy practices and empowers employees to make healthful choices. So it's not just, I mean, it's up to you to, to take advantage of what's here. It's the actual shutting down of the office for an hour so you can go take a workout class or go for a bike ride or go for a walk. It's a flexibility and like, okay, you can come in at nine o'clock to get your work done because we know you want to go to that yoga class or we know you want to take your kid to childcare before you come to work. It's having that flexibility. Uh, a clearly defined engagement strategy that uses an effective mix of communications, incentives, and social events. Um, human resource policies and benefits designed to encourage well-being and engaging solutions to support employee efforts to improve. So if you are on a mission to improve yourself, a blue zone friendly workplace would identify with that and also encourage it. Not just say, well, here's the list of things that we, we wrote down that we have. You, you can take advantage of them, but it has to be on your time. A blue zone friendly workplace would incorporate that into your workday. And what do they find when they do these things? Employee retention increases. People don't take sick days. People have more pride in the work that they do. They're happier. They treat their coworkers with more respect. Such a better place to be. It's a good thing to think about, like if these things are not happening at your workplace, can you influence them to happen? Or is it time for you to seek another workplace? For sure, for sure. So how do you empower yourself to either discover a, a happier workplace or a happier environment um, or influence one? Here are the recommendations that they have. So the first thing that you can do to influence or create a better environment for yourself, especially at work, is to make a best friend at work. Develop at least one meaningful relationship of, with the people at work, somebody that kind of has your back. Um, seek a job that fits you. This one kind of gets me. 
So in the millennial world, we were taught like you have to be independent, you have to have your own place, we were ridiculed if, you know, I had a lot of peers who, when the recession hit, when we graduated in 2008, moved back in with the family and people ridiculed the heck out of that. Like, what are you doing, you lazy bum? Like you went to college, you got a degree and now you're like living at home. So there was so much ridicule over that. But now they're, they're suggesting in order to be living that blue zone lifestyle at work, to take a job that suits you, even if it doesn't necessarily pay a ton of money. Sounds good in theory. That's my one. I'm not, I'm not connecting with that point as much as others, but I'm just reading it. Um, consider your work hours. Do you find more pleasure outside of work or by doing your work? So consider how many hours you're working. Something that I always learned as a, a supervisor was if you can't offer your employees more financial compensation, what flexible options can you give them? Can you let them take an hour and a half for lunch every day so they can go to their favorite workout class? Can you let them come in 30 minutes late every day so they can drop their kid off at school? Uh, can you let them peace out early on a Friday when their, their work is all caught up and they're good to go versus making them watch the clock until 4.30? I had a boss like that. Oh, I had a boss like that. Some days it was just like, can we just go? Like, it's dead. Can we go home? Thank you. So consider those options. If it's not more compensation, are there additional flexibility things? This one, avoid long commutes. People were happier when they had a shorter, preferably a walking or a biking commute into their job. I totally get that. I loved and I miss walking to work. I miss it. Um, and set goals. So like you would set goals for yourself or set intentions for yourself in your life, set goals for yourself at work and always look at them and review them and revise them and just make sure that they're they're aligning with the goals of your workplace. That is a ton of information. This book is so awesome. And there are these like blueprints and step-by-step -step things that you can do to really influence a better and happier community environment, a happier workplace. In our last part of the series, we're gonna dive into your social network, your home, your inner life, and the, the culmination that the, the the whole purpose of this Blue Zones of Happiness, the Power Nine mentality. So we'll dive into all of those things in the final part of our series. This has been so fun. Thank you so much for coming along this ride with me. I know it's a little different, but it totally relates to fitness and wellness. And I, I have honestly just felt better reading this book. I feel hopeful. I feel like there are great conversations to be had. And I'm hoping you're feeling the same way too. And I hope if you haven't yet picked up a copy, go to your local library, the last place on earth that it's okay to exist for free. <laughs> PSA, love the libraries. Um, and grab a copy or just do peruse and read. It's not something that you need to like sit down like or when I was in English, <laughs> took English literature classes, like you had to all these parenthetical references and you had to highlight everything and figure out the double meaning. No, it's straightforward. Totally straightforward book to read. Uh, heavy content and material. I've had to reread a little bit of it, but I don't know. It just makes me feel hopeful. So thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode. I will see you for the last part of our four-part series next time. Bye.